2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. May have money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to May money. Welcome to Cray America. i will be one of my friends who's trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put you in context to days like today. Call me 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We are entering one of the most perilous moments for the stock market since COVID-19 burst on the scene. Oh, we had the huge sell-off right down 35 percent from the highs. Then the giant bounced back this week, up 19.9 percent going into today. And then a real pasting, most of it at the end of the day, with the Dow ultimately slipping 915 points, S&P declining 3.37 percent, NASDAQ falling 3.79 percent again. Just like yesterday with had the big whoosh up, this had the whoosh down at the other day. I hate that stuff. Now, we need to figure out what's next. Either a continuation of today's sell-off evolving into what we call a retest, where the market goes back to its earlier lows, or maybe, or it could even take them out, or a resting period setting us up for the next move higher. There's not much in between here. What makes the situation so dicey? Simple. Next Friday, we get the Labor Department's big non-farm payroll report. And I've got to tell you, based on this week's just absolutely hideous jobless claims number, we could expect a real doozy. See, this market's become a tug of war between the bears bracing for a possible depression if we can't stop COVID. Yes, that's how horrible I expected the summer to be on Friday. And the bulls betting on an absolute boom if we do beat it because of all the liquidity being injected into the system by both the Federal Reserve and, of course, by this $2 trillion bill that was signed this afternoon. Now, I don't know who's going to be right, but lately I'm a tad more optimistic. And, you know, I've been negative ever since the Super Bowl. We just got through a mine metal week. Congress passing that massive 2.2 trillion dollar stimulus package in, in record time. I, mean, I can't believe they got it through so quickly. There's a lot of money in there to help companies make payroll. So hopefully, executives will think twice before they lay anyone off. Money's on the way to individuals, too. It should be just there in three weeks if we can hold on. This is a messy bill, though, with lots of moving parts. But there's tons of money here for small, medium-sized businesses that desperately need it. Remember, that's 85 percent of our economy and our service-based economy as it is. There's a lot for the newly unemployed. This was a go big or go home moment. Unfortunately, Congress decided to go big. Plus, the Federal Reserve made it clear that they've got more bullets in the chamber. If any more arcane pipes in the financial plumbing get clogged, another big positive. Without the rescue package, we were at the real risk of falling into a depression, and it might have been bad enough to rival the great one. This time around, you have government-mandated store closures, and frankly, wherever those mandates have been ignored, well, it's been disastrous as it allows the disease to spread so much faster. I think the stimulus takes a depression, though, off the table. Yes, that was the right thing to do. But there are still a lot of problems. Problems that aren't solved by the bill. According to the New York Times, we have medical equipment shortages in 200 cities. We're going to talk about the shortages later in the show. That means more illness and more death. We desperately need more ventilators. And for some reason, the government's not been able to figure out how to expand manufacturing of them. Meanwhile, the lack of a firm federally mandated shutdown, so piecemeal, has allowed the virus to spread throughout the country. Every big city that hasn't locked itself down could look like New York in a couple of weeks. So I'm very skeptical that we'll be able to open for business again on April 12th, the president's makeshift deadline. Without national rules to contain this thing and test people aggressively, test, 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 we're going to have a lot of trouble bending this curve. And that's what makes the moment so dicey. However, there's one hope that I think deserves more attention than it's getting. If somebody can come up with a drug that gets COVID-19 patients in and out of the hospital much faster and off the respirators, it could really ease the strain on our beleaguered healthcare system. I know it sounds too good to be true, but there are so many uh, coronavirus drug trials going on right now that it's hard to keep up. We have Santa Fe on tonight. That's that giant French pharmaceutical company. I'm very encouraged about the drug that they're testing with Regeneron, which you know is a company we like very much. Not only could it stop the deadliest symptoms of the disease, it could even perhaps prevent people from getting infected. And that is if it really works. You think that you think the market's ready for that? If we can get rapid testing up over, over and over, I keep stress testing since it started, coupled with some sort of inoculation. Well, that's the whole ballgame. With a drug that good, we beat the pandemic and triggered one of the biggest rallies in stock market history. But if we fail... I think the market will revisit its lows from earlier this week. That's why we need to stay in touch with actual earnings, with actual companies. So we see what's worth buying just in case things even go bad, but certainly would do well if things go good on Monday. We are from RH, That's the artist formerly known as Restoration Hardware. I think this is one of those companies that will come back when the pandemic's over because of its incredibly loyal clientele, and because of its brilliant management. McCormick reports on Tuesday, and this Spice Bakers, it's just a fantastic home, uh, stay-at-home play. It's one of our stay-at-home plays because you could with it does have a food service business kind of struggling, but that's OK. Wednesday, we get something major. It's an analyst meeting held by a company called Enterprise Products Partners. Perhaps the best of the pe- pipeline match limited partnerships. Right now, that makes them the best house in the worst neighborhood in the market. The stock now yields nearly 13 percent. But I want to find out if that's sustainable when the oil and gas industry is collapsing. After the close, we hear from PVH, the parent of Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. Oh, this market has not been kind to apparel stocks with the exception of Nike, which has a fabulous direct-to-consumer business and a lot of exposure to China's newly revived economy. So will PVH get mauled? stock's already down 64% for the year. Just a, a total crash. I know it's bad, but is it really down 64% bad? I think PVH needs to tell a good story about Europe changing the narrative. Alas, Europe's having a tough time right now, too. Let's hear what CEO Manny Chirica has to say. He's always candid with us. Next, let, how low can um, a company I use all the time, how low can Walgreens go? This stock has fallen to 44 with a 4.2 percent yield. And I figure it, it, well, it can bounce. But if you own Walgreens, I recommend selling the bounce. Swap into CVS Health instead. We own that one from my Chapel trust, which you can follow on by joining the Plus.com club. Unlike Walgreens, CVS owns a terrific health insurance company, Aetna. Even if Walgreens somehow reports a good quarter, I don't trust the guidance. When I look at Walgreens, by the way, I am struck by the fact that it's had almost no days up in uh, in this year. It's terrible. Oh, man, that's one of the worst charts ever. Also on Thursday, we see the two faces of the stay at home economy. CarMax reports uh, in the morning. Now, I'm betting this used car chain is nothing good to say. Uh, about the future because the lockdowns are bad for business and keep you at home. Don't need to drive to work. On the other hand, we hear from Chewy after the close. In a world where you can't get out to shop for pet food, Chewy brings it right to your door. Textbook quarantine winner. Finally, on Friday, it's Constellation Brands, the big alcohol company. I think it could ignite the whole beer group if it delivers better than expected numbers. Unfortunately, I don't see that happening. They make too much money selling drinks to restaurants, restaurants, restaurants that are now closed. Well, Constellation stock took off today and the company's very well managed. I think there's only so much that can go right for you if you're hawking beer or spiked seltzer when the bars are closed, even as it's the best. Tell me about it. It's painful to walk by a closed bar, San Miguel. Make no mistake then about it, though. It is the best in its industry, bottom line. As I keep saying, it's not a great time. But we now have a chance to turn things around. If Santa Fe or one of these companies can do the right thing and beat this virus, if we get it under control, stimulus package, get the economy And If we can't get it under control, then this bill is merely harm reduction and the market is going to go lower still.
3: Evan in Florida, Evan. Hey, Jim. My son, Evan, who has called you the Booyah Man since he was a toddler, I has a quick question for sure. you. Sure. Hi, Jim. My dad told
1: me Viacom owns Nickelodeon and I like SpongeBob. So I say bye, Viacom. What do you think?
2: Well, Evan, I'm worried about the balance sheet. They do indeed Nick Nickelodeon. But remember, they were supposed to do March Madness. Who knows if we're going to get any football this year. Uh, and they're, uh, no one's going to the movies. So I have to tell you, it was one of the most unfortunate uh, stocks that I picked this year. I, Evan, I do not want you in. The
1: house okay. So stay
2: out of it. You don't want to miss the rest of tonight's show. Take it from me. Stay with Kramer.
1: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
2: Right now, drug companies all over the globe are racing to find new ways to fight the coronavirus, from treatments to soften the symptoms to an actual cure to potential vaccines. Which brings me to Sanofi, the French pharmaceutical titan. Last week, when we spoke to Regeneron, They mentioned a rheumatoid arthritis drug called Kevzara that they make in partnership with Sanofi. The two companies are studying this thing as a treatment for the worst symptom of COVID-19, the lung inflammation that causes a deadly form of pneumonia, and it might even block the virus altogether if you don't have it. Perhaps even more important, one of Sanofi's subsidiaries developed a vaccine for SARS back in the day, and they're now testing a variant against this novel coronavirus, which is a close cousin of SARS. Earlier today we got a great privilege to speak with Paul Hudson. He's the new CEO of Sanofi. Take a look. People may not know your company. You're the foremost vaccine company in the world, which brings me to the topic of the day. How confident are you that we can ever get a vaccine against this scourge that is decimating the whole
4: world? Oh, I'm confident that we'll get a vaccine. It may take a little while. I mean, estimates are between 12 and 18 months. But I can assure you, for one of the leading companies like ourselves, we're doing everything we can to be there as fast as we can.
2: Now, I know that you have a terrific partnership with Regeneron, have a big stake in it. I speak to Lynch Leffert pretty much, uh, geez, every day. Why not? Uh, The thing that I'm most excited about is an older drug, is this Kevzara. uh, And and the the method that it it is using, which is novel versus a novel coronavirus. How are things going with that trial?
4: So we've started the trial. Of course, we have a a very good relationship with Regeneron. Um, The medicine was brought forward because of some preliminary data elsewhere in the world. Um, We hope that we'll bring some relief to the patients in a more severe setting. We don't know. We're working with the WHO, with Regeneron, with the European Medicines Agency and making sure that the right trials are done, but at the right speed, so that if there is a significant benefit, we can get it to patients as fast as possible. I'm glad you pointed that out. There's been some
2: uh, reports about an old malaria drug that a lot of people have gotten behind, but the, the test is not necessarily uh, acceptable. I know it wouldn't be acceptable to a great vaccine company like yours. Can you explain the difference between what you're doing with Kevzara versus the uh, anecdotal evidence that the old malaria drug might have some play here?
4: Look, let's, let's take a step back, right? So you asked about the vaccine. We've got two vaccines in play for COVID-19, different mechanisms, one a more established mechanism, and one a more experimental mechanism. I think it's incumbent upon us to make sure we have two shots on the It's important to get there as fast as possible in case, of course, there's a second wave. Then you've got the medicines that we're making every single day, the patients that need them, just to continue in their chronic therapies, in asthma, in other diseases. The two medicines that are in the middle there, Kevzara and Plaquenil, which is a malaria drug, these are where people in China and other places have said, we've seen some effect. We have tried them and we can see some efficacy. Now, what we need to do is working with the WHO and the regulators is actually quantify that effect and quantify the actual patient profile that will respond best. We don't want patients struggling. We know that if repurposed medicines can be put to the task, to do something incredible, then so be it. So we're just playing our part, making sure they're available to the investigators, making sure the regulators have everything they need. But it does seem that
2: uh, your acute drug that you just described, the acute vaccine, it seems like that if we're really lucky, uh, it can both take care of people who already have the virus in them and actually stop the virus coming in because of a very, uh, let's a brilliant way. It's a brilliant way to be able to head off the virus's uh, most insidious mechanisms.
4: Yeah, you know, I think you know, ordinarily it takes 10 years to invent a vaccine. The main reason is because you're going to give it to a lot of healthy people on a massive scale. So you have to be sure and you have to be Right. These are, of course, unprecedented times. So we're experts in this and we're moving as fast as we can. And the science is going to tell us whether we can be in patients that need vaccination, patients that will be protected, or even patients that may respond uh, who already have the illness. But we need a bit of time. And we're going, literally, I said, we've got everybody in the entire organization working 24-7 bringing their volunteer spirit to make sure we can do something with these vaccines. And Paul, one of the things that has been
2: uh, downright frightening to people in the medical community uh, is the fact that it turns out that many of the ingredients, uh, some people say most of the ingredients for drugs, uh, for the actual pills were made in India or China. Uh, There were 48 pill factories in Wuhan, in the uh, Yubei area, uh, that made it so that we were kind of, a, would say, hostage you're doing something about it. It could be a major change in what we do for pharmaceuticals.
4: Yeah, you know, it's an excellent point. And I, I tried to identify the large group of patients that need the medicines they were getting long before this and long after it. You know, we make many of the, the ingredients for our medicines in France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and we want to do it right. And we noticed over the years that China and India were where most of those ingredients were coming from. Um, uh, we've stated a plan that we want to go out and create one of the biggest active pharmaceutical ingredient manufacturers in Europe. We want to do it in Europe. We want to help America and Europe to make sure that when we're in difficult uh, situations like this, we can continue to maintain supply. Let me tell you, you know, I visited our distribution center last week with the permission of the French government. I needed permission. And I went to see our medicines being put together and being shipped. And when I asked the site leader, I said, you know, uh, are you working Saturdays and Sundays to get these essential medicines to people? And they said, yes. And I said, do you have any trouble getting volunteers? He said, no. When I asked, twice the number of hands went up that we needed. There's a real spirit and a very purpose driven mentality in all companies, I'm sure. But I feel it very evidently right now uh, in Sanofi.
2: Now, uh, people should know that that it's possible that you might be able, that Americans might be able to participate in a spin off of a company that I think sounds like a pretty great opportunity Uh, in in maybe a year two years. Can we see it as a a publicly traded company?
4: I think that's our plan. Our our plan is to say, look, we want to do something in Europe uh, that could help Europe, the U.S. and beyond that is uh, high quality, that is guaranteed supply and that others can participate in. It's bigger than just an So we need to make sure that we bring it forward in the right way. Uh, and, and I think we have a plan to do that. So yeah, it's not too far away. And it's another good reason to look at how innovative we can be in Sanofi. Yep. You know, when we went back to our capital markets day in December, we laid out some prioritization. We said we wanted to win in vaccines because we knew it was important. Look where we are now. We said we wanted to win with Dupixent because it was incredibly important to drive uh, the mid to long-term growth of the company. And we said we wanted to pull our pipeline through. When we step back, we say to ourselves, one of the things that we're doing that we don't need to be the best in the world at, but others can participate in too, active pharmaceutical ingredient shared with other companies to build a big player to make sure patients who need medicines get them. You know, it's the very least we can do, and I think it could be a, a very sensible opportunity for investors.
2: Well, the last thing I want to mention, I'm glad you brought it up, dupexin, a, it's a, a blockbuster. It's a huge drug. I want people to know mm-hmm. that your company, uh, own, well, it's with Regeneron, but your company is just doing a great job of this. Just please tell people how many different varied uses there are of this wonder drug.
4: Well, you know, I've been involved in a lot of medicines in my career, and I met patients and listened to patients and physicians in preparation for becoming chief executive here at Sadofi. I was blown away. There are very few medicines I've worked with that provide sort of life-changing efficacy for patients. We turn them to normal in many occasions, both in atopic dermatitis and in asthma, in uh, nasal polyposis and many other indications to come, but really debilitating life-constraining illnesses. Uh, The profile of this medicine means that it's very safe to take also. So, you know, we get to a situation where we have an essential medicine growing at a rapid rate, of course, we're there um, putting it forward, but the demand for it is incredible, and you know, we've set forth an ambition, by the way, to be in excess of 10 billion euros, uh, you know, global sales in, in a peak year. We didn't do that just because of picking a number randomly. We did it because we know only 3% of the patients that really need it and that could have their lives transformed are actually getting it today. So we know there's a huge opportunity. It's an incredible medicine. And our partners, Regeneron, Len in particular, I must call out, a great partner. You know, we worked very well together to bring it to this point. There's so much more to give to the patients that need it. Well, I'm going to leave it at that.
2: And I just congratulations for the, uh, the change in turn, the transformation that you're leading at a great drug company uh, and a terrific investment, by the way, too. That's Paul Hudson, CEO of Sanofi, uh, who's mm-hmm. doing so much to actually conquer this disease. Thank you so much. Sir. Thank you.
0: Visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: This pandemic keeps revealing the hidden weaknesses in our economy. The one that really shocked me, the rickety state of our healthcare supply chain. We don't have enough ventilators. We don't have enough personal protective equipment, masks, gowns, gloves that literally shield doctors and nurses from the virus. And we're still not doing it enough to scale up production. That's why we really need to dig down into what's going on with America's medical supply chain. Tonight, we've got Owens and Myers, a tiny publicly traded company that's nevertheless an essential cog in a healthcare medicine business. Owens & Minor distributes medical and surgical supplies, as well as manufacturing N95 masks, surgical masks, surgical gloves, and protective gowns. Stock's small for me to recommend. But right now, we just need to know how they can help fix the medical supply shortage. So let's dig deeper with Ed Pasica. He is the president and CEO of Owens & Minor. For a better read on the bottlenecks of the system, Mr. Pasica, welcome to Man Money. Thank you, Jim. Sir, if you could explain to me, and I'm sure you feel like I do. We see the pictures, we read the articles, and we can't believe it's America. We can't believe that our healthcare system with all these incredibly fine people are walking around wearing, like, scarves and don't have the right equipment. Uh, What's going on, sir?
5: Yeah, so let me put it in perspective. Let me first start with an anecdote. So a customer in New York City traditionally uses roughly between 10,000 and 20,000 masks per week. We are now seeing the influx of demand up to 200 to 300,000 masks per week. And that's just one hospital in New York. You take that and you multiply that through the entire U.S. and the system. That's the amount of demand increase we have seen in PPE products right now.
2: So if you were to start a a greenfield plant uh, that made PPE products like this or gowns, I know you've got them all over the globe. Uh, it, 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 It would take a very long time, I imagine.
5: Yeah, so we we're already in the production. Let me maybe share with you what we've already done. We sure. started in January, ramping up our production of PPE. And we manufacture our PPE in the Americas. A little bit different than others in this space. So our, what we've done with those facilities, we are now running them twenty four seven. We started in January. By the end of February, we were able to run four shifts a day, and we were able to increase our production of masks from roughly uh, by roughly forty to fifty million incremental masks per month. That's a combination of N95 and other masks. We are in the process of actually expanding capacity, but that's going to take probably five to six months to make sure that you have the capability to expand that capacity. So that's the time frame that we're looking at for additional expansion beyond what we've done already by running 24-7.
2: OK, so I have to presume that the Chinese, which were able to do a miraculous job after really not doing a good job, have tons of mass and supplies. Uh, but at the same time, we're not necessarily on a friendly uh, keel with them. Uh, do you think it's possible that they that they've got uh, a, a giant hoard that could help us?
5: You know, so I don't know whether they have a giant hoard or not. What I do know is that a lot of the manufacturing operations in, in China shut down for the Chinese Lunar New Year. And then that shutdown extended beyond that. So we're starting to see production ramp up with some of our suppliers in China So it's going to be a matter of time of getting that product produced. And then you have the delay of getting the product to the U.S. You know, if it goes by traditional boat, you're looking at another 30 to 40 days, which is why we're working actively to look at air freight and other methods to get it here faster.
2: I am seeing FedEx planes uh, bought, literally rented by citizens of our great country and landing here with with Chinese supplies. Incredible. Just actual individuals because they can't take the pictures anymore. Now, I see you've got... Uh, a plant in Thailand for exam gloves, surgical gowns in Honduras, right? And then face masks in Acuna, Mexico. So those are all working 24-7 too, right?
5: Absolutely. Those are the ones, those are our factories. And then all the fabric for that factory is manufactured in Lexington, North Carolina. So we have that running 24-7 as well as all of our other factories. We've gone to four shifts, and we're actually looking at fifth shift, so that way we don't wear our employees out and our teammates out during this time.
2: Are you... uh, selling these via the usual, the McKesson route and the uh, Marisource Bergen, or are you going right to the government?
5: So our sale goes through our own distribution channel, that being Owens and Minor. We also will distribute those products through others um, in the industry. But that's how they go through and get actually to the hospitals and or the clinicians, those people on the front lines. Yeah,
2: because what I was thinking was if you... Uh, we have General McChrystal on tonight, but it just seems to me that there's it, it, that the supply line, the Chinese involvement, the supply lines, that it's almost a little uncoordinated. But maybe it's just what could you do that no one could coordinate it because of who would have foreseen such a, a tragedy uh, developing? Yeah,
5: and I think, Jim, you got to go back to that anecdote I used earlier, where, right. again, you go from 10 to 20,000 a week to 200 to 300,000 a week. So you're looking at, you know, 10, 15 X and then you multiply that by all the health systems you know, spend significant time on with CEOs of the healthcare systems, that influx of demand. And you gotta remember that demand isn't just here in the US, that demand's in other parts of the world too. You know, right. so that global demand has increased exponentially.
2: Well, let me just say a little about your background. Uh, I can't, the stock's too small for me to recommend, but when I saw it, I said, Oh my God, I got it. I got to get behind this. Then I saw the market size, but I knew Halyard very well from when Kimberly Clark spun it off. But you're not from Owens and Minor. You're originally from Thermo Fisher. So when you came in, what did you see and why did you take the job? Given the fact that, well, you know, we're friends with Mark, Mark Casper, the CEO. And we think, we've been thinking of the world of Thermo Fisher ever since the show started. What attracted you to Owens and Minor?
5: So, so look, we had a company that has been around 137 years that lost their focus. And, you know, the challenge to jump in there was exciting and we really made it simple. We changed the focus so the number one thing we are focused on is the customer. And to do that, we had to change our service. And we've drastically improved our service over the last nine to ten months where we're back to our industry leading standards um, from a service and a delivery model. So that was really what we were focusing on over the last year. And as I said this in the past to others, we are so much further ahead than I thought we would have been after being in the job for about a year right now.
2: Well, okay, so let's say, uh, do you talk to Vice President Pence?
5: I have not talked to him personally. But But we have worked closely with with FEMA, we've worked with the White House team, um, and we've worked with HHS, we've worked closely with that group.
2: Well, then, can you tell me whether the scenes that we're seeing, uh, and I mean, I'm friends. My, I have a doctor whose son is literally no protective gear and is trying to save lives. I mean, send him I sent him my mask because I think we have to do that. We all have to. If we have masks, we got to give them to the front line people. Will that end? Agreed. Will it be like in, instead of the kindness of strangers? Do you think in the next month they'll have enough masks?
5: Well, I don't know what you know, what point in time or date we will have enough masks. All I know is with the industry working across the industry, with many of our peers in the industry, we are actively going to produce as much mass, many mass, as much protective um, equipment as we possibly can.
2: Well, look, I, I, I sure hope so. I think that a lot of us feel like that we're looking like we were. We well, remember when it was Wuhan uh, and we felt how terrible it was. And now we're about 45 minutes from a hospital that I know that I know well that it looks like Wuhan. And I, I'm kind of flabbergasted, but I guess everybody was overrun.
5: Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it, Jim, is just that increased demand was, you know, at just exponential rates compared to what it historically had been at.
2: Well, look, I, I wish you the best of luck. I hope all your workers stay safe and you do 24-7 and maybe the pictures go away. We start thinking <laughs> who we really are. All right.
5: Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jim. We, and, and around our teammates, we absolutely are making sure they're safe. So we're making sure that they have masks as well as gloves. Those who are working manufacturing the products as well as distributing
2: them to make sure we can get them out to our customer base. Fantastic. Thank you so much, sir. That's Ed Pasikis, the president and CEO of Owens and Minor, again small cap stock. Uh, do your homework. Their money's back get to the break. Two days ago, we learned that the stay-at-home economy turned out to be much, much bigger than anybody realized. You know how we found out? We found out from Micron, the major semiconductor company that reported a surprisingly impressive quarter when a lot of people were betting against it. Most of us expected Micron to be hobbled by the pandemic. Oh, sure, there's some problems. Smartphone uh, supply chain disrupted for most of the quarter. Automobile end market suboptimal. But on the conference call, they told an incredible story about how all the lockdowns are giving vast swaths of tech a huge boost. Thanks to elevated levels of gaming, e-commerce, and remote Work demand from the data center and from laptop makers. Well, geez, the stock surged, but. It's a great story, and I wanted to bring it directly from Sanjay Marotra. He's the president and CEO of Micron. We'll more about the quarter and where his company's headed. And before we get started, Mr. Marotra, not only congratulations for the quarter, but also congratulations for what you're doing for your employees and your pledge not to lay anybody off and actually boost salaries during a period where we all know that everyone is feeling insecure and worried.
6: Thank you, Jim. Great to be on your show. Uh, yes, as you pointed out, um, our fiscal second quarter, we delivered at the high end of the guidance that we had provided in December. And when you think about it, that is really amazing that half of our quarter, we were impacted by expanding coronavirus challenges across the globe, uh, particularly in China in the early part uh, of a COVID outbreak starting in January. And yet Micron team really worked with tremendous tenacity, overcoming the challenges and delivering a uh, quarter at the high end of the guidance, 13th quarter in a row with free cash flow. That is really quite impressive for Micron, particularly in this trough quarter. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the, the last trough quarter that had occurred four years ago versus now, right. Micron's right. revenue has increased 65% from tor- one trough quarter to the next over this four year period as well as our gross margins have expanded by 11 percentage points. And that, those are uh, dramatic transformations taking place at Micron. Thanks to our team, thanks to our technology, products, and, of course, manufacturing excellence. We are very proud of what we have been able to accomplish in these challenging times. Well, Sanjay, i are absolutely to... correct. You're <laughs> absolutely correct. In these challenging times, we are absolutely focused on our people first. Right. And, yes, we have taken steps to really help them cope with some of the environment we currently have. Would love to talk about it. Yeah, I wanted to mention that right up top because I want others to
2: take your challenge, to come up, to do what you're doing, to say instead of when things got tough, let's lay people off, you say things get tough, these people are family, and I'm going to help them. It's a new way, it's a new way, a different paradigm in America because business is the greatest source for social change and you've adopted. Now stronger data center demand really was an amazing part of the Micron story and that obviously, you even say, is getting stronger as we go on. That's not lessening.
6: So, Jim, what's happening is that work from home economy is putting a tremendous demand on the data center infrastructure. And you know that data centers require a lot of memory and storage. They are addressing the spike in demand that they are encountering from various institutions, even let's say from law enforcement, from healthcare, and tendency of everybody getting on to e-commerce, gaming, so more demand in data center, absolutely driving greater demand on memory and storage for Micron as well. In addition, what we have seen is work from home economy, driving demand for laptops, for needs of businesses, you know, having employees work remotely, as well as uh, we have seen uh, virtual education driving greater demand on the notebook side. This increase in demand is offset uh, by weakening smartphone demand. Mm-hmm. In China, we saw in February, in particular, smartphone demand fell down substantially as the China economy weakened. Chinese, the production in China is now back on and consumer is starting to buy. That's what our customers are telling us. So China is definitely coming back in terms of having contained the spread of the coronavirus. But as we know, we have challenge in other parts of the globe with the expanding coronavirus situation. And that we project will overall result in weakness in the smartphone demand. So yes, data center, laptop demand, uh, higher than we had expected. And Micron products are well positioned uh, in those markets. And over the course of next few months, and as we get through these challenging times, uh, you know, Micron is well positioned in terms of making any adjustments and driving our mix, staying close to our customers and meeting their demand requirements. And long-term, you know, after we get to the other side of this pandemic, mm-hmm. which brings about uncertainty and certainly throws challenges in all parts of the business. As we get to the other side of this pand- pandemic over the course of next few months, then, you know, we do see that the demand trends remain secular in nature. 5G, right. AI, autonomous, IoT, all of this needs more memory and more storage in the long term. Yes. But we certainly have to go, get through the uncertain and challenging times of the next few quarters and very important for all of us to make sure we do our part in containing this virus, the spread, the spread of this virus. OK, so, Sanjay, uh, I read again
2: yesterday, uh, President is trying to figure out what Huawei should be able to get the giant uh, a really huge company in China, from our producers. Has that been resolved? Do we know how much Micron's business is, uh, uh, is allowed to proceed
6: with Huawei, or is it, is it on hold? So what we had shared in our December earnings call was that we have received licenses from the administration for supplying to certain parts of the uh, Huawei business. Of course, through this period, uh, since Huawei was placed on the entity listing, and restrictions were placed in terms of shipments to Huawei, we have not been shipping anything, and we have not even asked for licenses related to the telecommunications part of Huawei business. But you know that they're a large player. Huawei is a large player on the mobile phone side as well. And Micron, uh, through our licenses that we have received, have been supplying product to Huawei. And we have said even in December earnings call that uh, if, you know, there is any change in this regard that impacts our licenses, of course, that will impact our revenue opportunity with Huawei. Uh, what I would right. like to point out is it's not just us. It's really uh, actually the entire semiconductor right. industry right. is a right. big supplier to Huawei. And if any actions are taken that limit the ability of the industry to ship to Huawei, of course, it will impact the semiconductor industry. It will impact right. us, too. But the point here, Jim, is that our business has also expanded to other customers. While Huawei remains a relatively large customer, still we have diversified our business in various end market segments and across the globe. Our end markets are, of course, from data center to smartphone. No, you're much bigger. Much bigger than that. To IoT. Much, very well diversified markets.
2: Well, anyway, I want to thank
6: you. Great quarter. Too bad the market was
2: down badly today. I think your stock would have been up again. That's Sanjay Moroj, who's president and CEO of Micron Technology. What a quarter. All new business trends. MU's the best way to play it, man. Money's back after the break. it is time so the and then the label are are you ready Ski. guys a the so with more between Mark Hi Jim with the recent market sell-off is it time to add Lockheed Martin yes it is I like Lockheed Martin very much I think they're doing a lot of good things I'm going right now to Elias in Virginia Elias
6: hey Jim. Elias. Hey, I wanted to get I wanted to get your uh, opinion on United Natural Food. They
2: finally had a good quarter. There's insider Buy. It's a nice back. Ah. Let's go to Luis in New Jersey. Luis, how you doing, Jim? Couldn't be better. How about you? Good, good. I wanted to know what's your opinion on Square. Square, I think is terrific. But remember, some of the clients themselves are hurting right now because they're the small businesses. So we're gonna have to hold off. They'll get a little bit closer to uh, the money in three weeks and we're going to go back in. Let's go. Yeah, that's the money to the government. Ray in California. Save Ray. Hey, big stocks on sale. Booyah. Sounds good. Question for you, my friend. What right. are you thinking right now of Live Nation? I'm thinking stay away from it because I'm a believer in, uh, in total separation of everyone. And you can't separate when you're in a concert. You're all on top of each other. I don't want to do that. Let's go to Binal, Binal in North Carolina. Binal.
6: Hey, Binal. Hey, Jim. This is Binal from Mooresville, North Carolina. First of all, big booyah. And booyah thank back. Thank you, you do for us. Uh, thank you. I'm a longtime uh, listener and first-time caller. I want to know what's your thoughts about international paper. I saw Mark Sutton
2: on our network earlier this week. I, told, I think he told a good story, 6.7% yield, but not a lot of growth. I'm okay with that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, including Up the lightning round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: For the past month, our leaders in both business and politics have been forced to improvise on the fly to cope with the pandemic. They're making the kind of decisions that normally only get made by generals on the battlefield. So maybe it makes sense that they're going to generals for advice. Generals like Stan McChrystal, he's the retired four-star general who served as commander of the U.S. and International Security Assistance Forces in Afghanistan, and before that ran the Joint Special Operations Command at the peak of the war on terror. These days, he's the founder and CEO of the McChrystal Group, which provides consulting services to help organizations build more effective teams. They're helping executives establish crisis response plans in real time, and they are Just hired by the city of Boston to help with its pandemic response. Tonight, General McChrystal is here with us to share his expertise and lay out the kind of leadership we need to beat the coronavirus crisis. General McChrystal, honored to have you on Mad Bunny.
3: It's my pleasure, Jim. Thank you.
2: Sir, when I look at what's happening, I think uniquely what's going on is something that a general, a four star general, could do a great job with, which is this fight to marshal all these forces. It seems so, um, I'm not going it, 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 it's, it's a curious mosaic that seems to be devoid a lot of times of the cohesion that you could provide. Can you tell me what, what General McChrystal would do if he were running this war against this disease?
3: Well, I can tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm really asking myself two questions. What's happening and what can we do about it? When I think about what's happening, we're facing an amorphous medical challenge that's frightening, a pandemic, and we're facing an economic challenge related to it. But together, they're very disorienting to everyone. Now, there's a temptation for us to say it's a black swan event. Nobody could have seen it coming. And therefore, we have an excuse for not being prepared or adapting well. And I I don't think that's right. One thing we know about crises, and Jim, you've lived through some, and I've spent a lifetime living through them, is they are inevitable. They all are a little different, but they have a common DNA. And the reality is we have to deal with them. And we'll deal with this one. We'll get through it. But one of the things I would highlight is in 2003, when I was commanding Joint Special Operations Command, that was in Iraq, and we were actually spread over a number of countries. We ran into a completely different kind of enemy than we expected. It was amorphous. It was networked. It was viral, a bit like a COVID-19. It was Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And it caused us to change our organization fundamentally, to change JSOC from a very precise, somewhat lockstep traditional organization to one built on the theory of adaptability. So what I would say now is what we should be thinking about in our organizations, not just at the national level, but our organizations at every level. We need to think about not dealing with just this crisis, although we'll have to deal with this, but to build our organizations with the fundamental premise that crises will arrive. And therefore, we're going to deal with the speed and complexity of modern world by building the ability to respond to crisis, not just right. try to a- avoid well,
2: them. Well, General, I know that there's money uh, in this bill that is being signed uh, this afternoon uh, for every, every single part of the armed forces, whether it be the Marines or whether it be the Air Force. And what, what I, I wish could have happened. Tell me how you did this when you, when you literally build a country from nothing, uh, countries that are not that we are not stable. Why are we not able to coordinate everything to the point where we, we have a quartermaster, for instance, who knows that we need masks so that we don't look like a a, a lesser world country where, where there's not enough gowns? I mean, why do we not know? We know it's calling New Orleans right now. Why are we not and it don't have an advanced party down in New Orleans? How come it's not? How come we're behind every time?
3: Yeah, if you really look what makes success in almost any endeavor like this, we want to focus it on a single woman or man at the top. But in reality, it's a set of teams. And you hit the right word, Jim. You said coordinate. There's not a lack of capacity in our country to get this done, not a lack of brain power. not a lack of motivation. But there's a tremendous lack of teamwork. And in reality, what we're really trying to do is link teams of teams together so that those entities can work and and i think we are we've got a long way to go in that regard
2: well uh, i do think and i want people to know your reputation is one of really not being daunted i feel like sometimes we feel daunted how did you inspire people to be able to work say remotely as a team and not feel like you know what we're losers you never felt like a loser if you were under your command
3: well that's a great that i mean that's a great point we had to fight in jsoc distributed with people sometimes alone, and we were across 27 countries at 76 bases simultaneously, synchronized ourselves every day. One of the first things we had to realize is when people are alone, they don't have what the Germans used to call the feel of the cloth, the feeling that you could put your shoulder up against your comrade and know you're together. So I think in today's world, particularly in this work from home environment, we've got to set up a daily operating rhythm where we communicate to our teams with candor and accuracy, but the humility to know we don't exactly know what's going on. We can't predict perfectly. At the same time, we have to get information from them because imagine you're a new employee in a team. You can start to feel alone out in, in wherever your home or apartment you're working. Most of what you used to learn was in the office watching other people or unspoken guidance from your boss as they walk by and touch you on the shoulder. All of that's harder to do. So I think we need to look at what we uh, came to call in JSOC as digital leadership. That's the ability to use video teleconference and use it in a way that you can reach out, know people's name, sort of check their status, but also pass information, contextual understanding to the entire team so that they can act with confidence. There's a temptation on the part of leaders in a case like this to centralize because it's a crisis, so bring all the the, uh, decisions to me. But that is absolutely self-defeating. We're gonna beat this crisis with people using initiative down at very local levels, close to the point of action. But they've gotta be empowered with information, they've gotta be inspired with real leadership, and of course we've gotta give them resources.
2: Boy, I couldn't agree more. General McChrystal, it is an honor to have you on our show. Thank you, General Stanley McChrystal, the founder and CEO of the McChrystal Group, and a four-star. Sir, thank you for being on the show.
3: Thank you, Jim. And
2: I'm, going to be back after the break. I'm going to salute all the CEOs who are taking the pledge to not lay people off, like Brian Moynihan this morning, of America, Sanjay Marocha from Micron boy, is this ever different from 2007-2009. We're sticking together. No divisiveness and no anger. Like I said, as always a bull market, so I promise i to find it just for you. Radio Man Money, I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. Our special markets and turmoil. Hustle by my buddy Scott Wapner starts right now!